0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 11 Preview Edition, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, a lot going on and uh, a lot of it not good news. Of course, we talked a lot last year on this show about COVID and the ravages the pandemic was taking in our world and uh, certainly on the football world. And uh, we've been living in a bit of a relative utopia, I guess, in Victoria, certainly in recent times. I think 87 consecutive days without any new cases but unfortunately that has all changed and um, it is a very movable feast and the football world has been impacted significantly so a qualifier here we're recording this on Wednesday morning and uh, what we're talking about in terms of the impact on the football might well change as you're by the time you've listened to this not a lot we can do about that but it's important stuff We need to discuss plenty more to discuss as well. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? Well, I'm well. Yeah, it is very much, uh, as we speak on
1: Wednesday morning, a changing world that we live in. Of course, we bring you a football program, but that is only in the background of the importance of the general health risk and we hope that everybody listening to the program takes all the health advice and that we can get over this, what at the moment seems to be a a controlled but definitely concerning incursion into our lives as quickly as possible. So again, always framed in the fact that we know that football
0: takes a backseat to our general health and the health of the public. Well, to that end, uh, far be it from this show to be a uh, community service broadcast, but uh, it shocked me into action. I must say I had been a bit wax in terms of, you know, sort of just putting it to the back of my mind and I hadn't been vaccinated. Well, after reading all that stuff last night, I got straight online, made an appointment for myself. I'm receiving my first jab um, at uh, 4 p.m tomorrow, and then a follow-up uh, with the one I'm taking, the uh, AZ one. Uh, the second shot is 12 weeks later. So, um, where are you on this, are you uh, Are you going to be uh, jolted into action? Yes, by yourself. My inactivity has to take a
1: review, and uh, your words this morning to me, off-air, have certainly made me conscious of the need, not only for myself, but if we are going to become a a community in a country that is free and I don't know whether we'll ever be free of COVID, but resistant to the virus, then the key to that, we can't expect a cure, but we can certainly hope for eventually mass inoculation. So I need to be part of that and I'll do that as soon as we finish recording this program.
0: Oh, good on you. And uh, same applies to all you listening out there. We all need to do our bit here. We certainly don't want to go through the sort of extended lockdown that we did last year. I don't think any of us wants to do that again. i tell you what, though, uh, if we all do the right thing and we can still be out in the streets, that will mean that we can avail ourselves of some wonderful treats out there. And there's nothing more wonderful, Fanny, than a big... Juicy hamburger from Andrews at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Boy, they
1: are a good feed, no question about it. And you know, there are choices there. I'm personally a pretty plain Jane when it comes to picking my hamburgers. I'll get a cheeseburger, generally, no frills. But there are people that love their extras, an egg a bit of beetroot. Bacon's a very popular addition, as of course is the Hawaiianization of some burgers with a bit of pineapple. You can get one with the lot there, Rowan, or you can go the basics, but whichever way you go, it's the big, beautiful, juicy meat patty that takes centre stage with the fresh buns and all the fresher moths. That's an Andrew's hamburger. That
0: is 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Uh, I think hamburgers and I part ways at the mere mention of pineapple, I have to say, that is sullying a beautiful, beautiful thing. But uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> one thing you don't have to worry about getting pineapple on is a brand-new home renovation, Fionny. Yeah, that's an odd comment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about a West Point property rebuild. Man. In the southeastern Melbourne suburbs. Pineapple-free. If you want it to be, it will be. But it will certainly be a house for the ages. And there is a footprint, of course, in that part of Melbourne, Albert Park, Middle Park, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, etc. that is part of very much a time gone by. So your house will have all the modern builds in it. And I know I'm talking up-to-date appointments in all of the rooms, but the actual outside of the house can certainly and will certainly be made to step in time with the street and the
0: suburb. It's a brilliant piece of building. West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's your main man. Well, whilst we're talking about the best of uh, various products, uh, I have to mention another partner of ours, Stats Insider. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections analysis to more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's French Open, which kicks off this weekend. They do stats on everything fine. I believe there are even stats on what tiny percentage of the population would even contemplate having pineapple on a hamburger. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game predictions, Stats Insider is also known for its full-season forecasting, which still has Richmond at a 62.3% chance of playing finals this season, despite currently being outside the top eight. Stats Insider, also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis, everything is free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com. Au. Give them a follow on Twitter too, at Stats Insider. In fact, I've written a piece of them this week as well, finally So check it all out. It really is a fantastic website. All right, that's our plugs done. That's our intro done. That's our community health announcement done. Let's get into the show. On Footyology News feed. Well, we've got to start with the serious stuff. Uh, We mentioned off the top of the show, uh, COVID rearing its ugly head. In Melbourne, again, of course, it hasn't, as you said, Finey, hasn't ever really gone away. There's just been uh, peaks and troughs. Well, uh, unfortunately, a bit of a a peak looming here in Melbourne. As we record this again, uh, this is, uh, at this point, on Wednesday morning, 10 new cases in Victoria recorded. And um, that is cause of concern, a big cluster in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And I guess in football terms, uh, some dramatic news quite late last night. In fact, I was um, doing some work when it came through. It was after 11 o'clock. And that was when people who'd been at the Collingwood Port Adelaide game at the MCG received text messages from the Department of Health um, about a positive case being confirmed at the game. So all people who were sitting in what they call zone four at the MCG sections, M1 to M6 on level one of the Great Southern Stand are required to go and get a test immediately and isolate until they return a negative Uh, result and um, I guess things like that make you realise that all the uh, protocols you now have to go through to go to the footy are absolutely justified including I've got to say the QR codes one thing that has worried me a bit in the games I've been to as a punter this year and there's been a few um, are the amount of people sort of breezing past the QR code scan and not leaving their details, hopefully that behaviour will change now in the wake of this latest flare-up. So that's enough of a concern. But uh, as we awake this morning, again, stressing on Wednesday morning, um, it got more dramatic because two teams who are playing outside Victoria this weekend have been required to leave Melbourne immediately to get to their destinations. Essendon, who play West Coast in Perth on Saturday night, were scheduled to leave uh, not until Friday. They are now leaving today on Wednesday, uh, heading to Perth early. And Carlton, who play Sydney on Saturday, they are also heading up to Sydney today. So this is really thrown things around and uh, it's a movable feast finding and who knows, What might happen by the time we actually get to this football weekend, the government's considering reducing crowd sizes again. They've got to work out um, whether they can accommodate a larger crowd at Marvel Stadium with the roof open. And that's after the policy had uh, become to keep the roof shut. That would dictate a smaller crowd. So that's another decision to be made. And who knows, the way this thing is escalating quickly, uh, who knows where we might be come the actual start of the round, which as we record this is still more than 48 hours away. So, gee, it's a a stark reminder of the precarious world that we live in and also how lucky we've been to have a relatively unimpeded uh, football season thus far in 2021. Do you agree? I couldn't agree more.
1: Given that the announcements are ready, as we uh, do emphasise, as of Wednesday morning suggested, no gatherings outside the House of more than 30 people in private parties, gee, I'd be surprised unless they can really put uh, a sort of halt to the spread of this outbreak. If there's any more cases, I wouldn't be surprised if we have Games in Melbourne played behind closed doors. Only my opinion. But we know that WA were quick to do that. So Fremantle played a couple of games in front of no
0: crowds. Yep, and of that course, was against uh, North Melbourne and the Derby. Against and the Derby, Coast. that's right. That's, Derby, that's, sorry, did it again. That is correct. So, yeah,
1: I wouldn't be um, overly expectant to go to the footy this weekend. We just have to wait and see. As for Carlton and Essendon being told to get out of Dodge early. They've done that. And when we come to discussing those games, especially with Essendon, there's a couple of big names that might come back into the team. I wonder whether they were put on the plane and whether their chances of playing will be impacted by having to get out of town because they were going to be
0: decisions, say, for later in the week. So very interesting. Do we assume that uh, in the case of Carlton and Essendon having to uh, do this on the run so quickly? uh, I mean, I think Essendon, for example, were doing a late night ring around last night to tell everyone you've got to go today. Uh, Do we assume that that is going to impact negatively on their and Carlton's chances? Or I mean, obviously those clubs are going to have to try to spin it as a positive. The, but pretty hard to do. I'm, I know I'm a creature of habit, you know, and if I had it in my head, I'm going to Perth on Friday and then all of a sudden someone rings up and says, pack your bags, you've got to go now. That would throw me. I wonder, if there is there any way they can turn it into a positive, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think there is, because both of those clubs would not have been expected to, or are not expected to win those games.
0: Mm. Essendon
1: heading to West Coast, Carlton up to the SCG. They're both playing teams in the eight they are not in the eight and maybe you know this shake up can be by a good positive spin from the coaching staff and even the players themselves can be the sort of uh, uh, unsettler that might reset the chances of these two clubs let's be honest they were both outsiders or are both outsiders so why not turn it into a a one off unusual setup that gives us a different way to approach a difficult game
0: yeah and I guess uh, Essendon for example can probably draw on the example of Collingwood in the elimination final last year can't they I mean Collingwood were cooped up in quarantine for a whole week or or so leading up to what was a famous win over West Coast so I guess that sort of you know uh, battle against the um against the elements and, uh, you know, uh, sort of girding everyone together, you know, that can really sort of work for a team. And also both of those clubs can claim,
1: and this may not be the case, but in the preparation of the game, they can say, look, there's going to be complacency in our opponents. Let's really attack them and attack them early. They think that we've been thrust into a situation that makes it difficult for us. Let's just check their metal early in the game. So, yeah, I think for a, a one-off, certainly you can't probably sustain a long period of disadvantage. But for a one-off game, why not turn it around and get into your players' heads that this is a, an unusual
0: situation that we can take advantage of? Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see what unfolds in, in both those games, and it's going to be interesting, frankly, to see whether the round unfolds at all. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, again, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, so um, a lot of what we're saying might actually be redundant by the time we start. Let's hope not, because it's it's been great to have footy back to normal, and uh, we'd hope for that to change. I guess it was a bit naive of us to sort of think that things would go on and certainly a stark reminder in the last 24 hours or so that uh, it is a different world we live in now and probably will remain that way uh, until everyone is safely and effectively vaccinated and this horrible, horrible illness presents um, less of a a life threat than it currently does. One Uh, thing I would say, Rowan, is that the AFL
1: are a fortuitous situation because following this round are the three by rounds. And that if this is an ongoing situation, will afford the AFL some room to move in scheduling games over those three rounds.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. A really good point. So in terms of timing, I guess, uh, could be fairly fortuitous. All right. Uh, let's move on and talk about the tribunal, which, uh, doesn't play that big a role in footy now because most suspensions meted out by the uh, match review officer are accepted. But an unusually busy night on Tuesday night with three cases being heard at the tribunal with uh, clubs challenging the various penalties that have been given out. We had uh, Marlon Pickett challenging his one-week suspension for a strike on Brisbane's Brandon Stasevich, we had Carlton's Lockie Plowman challenging a two-game ban for a bump on Hawthorne's Jager O'Meara. And the most contra- controversial one of all, of course, uh, Gold Coast Nick Holman um, raised the ire of the football world, fair to say, the MRO, after issuing Holman a two-game penalty for a tackle on Geelong's Mitch Duncan, in which Duncan's head hit the ground. And he was concussed. So the result, the Pickett and Ploughman verdicts were upheld. They remain as is. And the Holman penalty, I think much to the relief of a lot of people in footy, was successfully challenged by the Suns. What did you make of those three findings in a nutshell? Absolutely convinced that Pickett and Ploughman were
1: wasting their time. So pleased to see that they are upheld.
0: I mean, that was a pretty brutal bump by Ploughman on O'Meara. And... Well, let's talk about that because, you know, there, I, I know a significant number of people were arguing that um, that deserved to be overturned. I must say, I'm, I'm with you. Although I thought two games, I understand, you know, their classifications lead to the suspension. I thought two games was probably a bit harsh. It looked more like a, a one game to me. But the thing about the Ploughman... Amira one is, um, well, he, he sort of dug himself a bit of a hole plumber because he was talking about attempting to spoil. And then almost in desperation, they started talking about him potentially going for the mark. Well, it's got to be one or the other. And I didn't find the spoil argument that convincing because in the footage of it, you don't really see him extend his arm out as if to spoil. And, and in fact, just before contact, he braces himself Correct. As, you, as you do when you bump. So I was okay with that one. Is that how you feel? hundred percent. Uh, well interpreted. Yeah, he, he he braced himself for the bump.
1: And we have to, I think, as a football, in the football world, and the AFL takes the lead here because all other competitions follow in step. We have to be more conscious of the action and less of the result. Now, Imira was down and gaze it was right towards the end of the game but he was able to get up and you know didn't have to um, leave the ground or no ongoing injuries that should affect him taking his place in the side this week but that is exactly the sort of action that we must stamp out if we are going to take a quantifiable step towards reducing concussion that's the one rower So, I don't really care what happens to the player. That action, a fierce bump to the head, not a ricochet. It wasn't one of those ones where O'Meara sort of ricocheted off shoulders and there was a head clash. This was a bump to the head.
0: Get rid of it. Two weeks. No problem. I I, I do have some sympathy for Ploughman in that, uh, you know, you look at that in real time. It is... It's an instinctive, reactionary sort of thing. We're, we're asking players to, and I'm not saying we don't do this. I agree it needs to happen. But it's not that easy, I think, to change footballers' instincts. And basically, uh, he has to make a calculation in, God knows, i mean, it have to be 0.2 of a second. Uh, okay, am I going to be too late to spoil here or mark um, I can't do that, I can't bump him otherwise I might get suspended, so what am I gonna do? Like all that has to happen in his head in the space of well under half a second. You know, it's, it's a tough call to make when you're, all your instincts and your upbringing and the footy you've played thus far um, tends differently to that.
1: At, at, Rowan, absolutely. I do feel for Ploughman, he's not anything other than a totally brave player who I'm sure, again, towards the end of the game of football, is desperately going there to try and win possession of the ball. But as it played out, he bumps. I'm not saying that was his intention, but the football world has to be put on notice that if that is the result of your actions, that you're going to be suspended. It it seems unfair... But if we want the next generation to instinctively not put themselves in that situation or always go for the ball and not the player, then we have to do it. It, it's, It's going to be hard for a period of time because you said, quite rightly, his instincts are those that have been built up over years of playing football where what he did was unpunished. So I All feel right. sorry for players that get caught in this transitional period, but the result of your actions need to be punished if necessary.
0: All right, well, let's talk about the Holman one, because that was successfully overturned. Uh, I think 25 minutes the uh, tribunal uh, jury deliberated on this. Um, the statement read by the tribunal chairman, Ross Howey, said... They do not consider there was a second motion and their view is that the momentum of the two players is what caused the consequences of the tackle. They consider that the player acted as a reasonable player in the circumstances and find that he was not careless. Now, um, AFL counsel Jeff Gleason was arguing that there was a, a second motion to the tackle in which Duncan was you know, uh, effectively slung forcibly to the ground and hit his head harder than needed to be the case. But, gee, I I, I don't know. I'd hope Jeff didn't sincerely believe that because um, I I just couldn't see anything else that Holman could do. The tackle had to be forceful The momentum carried both players forward. And, um, you know, short of sort of cradling Duncan's head with his hands after tackling him, he couldn't ensure that his head wouldn't hit the ground. I mean, and Nick Rewald made this point the other day and it's been made a lot. I mean, we can take all these precautions. They're the right thing to do, but we still have to at some level accept it is a physical game played at a high velocity and that there will be injuries and accidents that happen as a result. And um, God knows the size of the Pandora's box that would have been opened had this not been overturned. So pretty thankful about that one. Do you you think that there was a, a big issue at stake with this one? Well, there is an issue in the wording of the
1: responsibility of a tackler on the person that he tackles, because you can tackle somebody, but if the result of your tackle sees that player injured and it's felt that you are responsible for that, then the Pandora's box has already been opened. Look, I'm glad that it was overturned because there has to be some, when you look at that, there has to be some sympathy towards Holman, who certainly didn't grab Duncan and then flay him into the ground. Nobody's suggesting that. But unfortunately, the way that we now word how to tackle, I think you can tackle the way Holman did and be found guilty. So it relies on how hard the ground is and just the unfortunate angle at which a player's head could hit the ground. But I think we've got a sensible out here, and that is understanding that even in a tackle, the player being tackled still has momentum. And that was a really good interpretation by the tribunal. So Duncan's momentum also contributed to the velocity at which he hit the turf. And I think that gives us a sensible way of looking at players who have their arms pinned and are
0: tackled in one movement. Good work by the tribunal. You know, I'd I'd go further than that because I reckon the greatest comment on the um, contradiction of this incident is the fact that um, Holman won a free kick for holding the ball. Of course. I course. mean, to me, you know, if you're if you're being awarded a free for something you were subsequently suspended for, you have a problem. Um, I I don't think I've heard much comment about that, but I think that's a really fundamental point. That if, if you know if we're awarding players free kicks for what the umpires deem to be a correct tackle, and that the same incident is subsequently punished with a suspension, then you've got the umpires and the rules completely at odds with what the tribunal's saying. So, fix it up. Uh, fix up the wording of the of the rules so it does allow for some sort of accidental consequence of an action that is perfectly legal. Yeah. The uh-huh. the big question here is
1: one action or two actions. And obviously, yes. the umpire on the day thought one action. Yeah. And the tribunal. Uh, not the tribunal, the MRO, and then the AFL prosecuting officer try to argue two actions. Now, we got a good result out of this because in the single action, there was the admission that the tacklee adds to the velocity or is part of it. So I really think we are now back to the situation of very clear-cut two actions. Let's keep it at that.
0: All right, let's uh, just close off news feed with a couple of other uh, items. Uh, Not insignificant items, mind you. Marcus Bontempelli, uh, extending his tenure at the Western Bulldogs by another four years. He is now locked in with the Bulldogs until the end of 2025, by which time he will be 29. So it's not one of those deals where we say, he's a Bulldog for life, um, but... Uh, close enough to it. It's an interesting time frame, actually, because uh, there's been a bit of a trend lately with you know what they call franchise type players to give them extended deals of you know up to seven years. The Bulldogs have decided against that, and there is still theoretically scope for Bontempelli to go somewhere else for several years at the end of this deal. Um, but it's long enough to you'd think sort of make other clubs think that, you know, to pick up a guy, no matter how good at 29, um, it's going to be less enticing um, than it perhaps would be otherwise. So interesting deal, but bottom line, uh, they'd be absolutely wrapped to have on board, uh, arguably uh, right at this second, the best player in the competition or very, very close to it. Don't you think, Fine? Yeah, of course they would look.
1: Good news for clubs with stars like Bontempelli at that mid-20s range because the only reason you're going to have to give a player a mega-long deal is because another club has come in and offered him that. But good news is that they seem to be sort of biting the hand that feeds them at the moment. And the trend, I think, will be away from them. You have a look at the Grundy deal. And I don't know where the clubs now are going to be rushing to long-term deals. So maybe a more sensible approach. And that means that the club holding players don't have to respond in kind.
0: Well, good to see him locked up with the Bulldogs anyway. I think uh, we're all fans of, you know, players of that stature remaining with the one club. Um, I've, I've always said, Rowan, that the best outcome
1: is for a champion to stay with their club or go to St Kilda. Not one
0: of the other 16 clubs. Yeah. I thought only Carlton reserves players went to St Kilda. Actually, that was, yeah. no, well, That might be 35 years ago. It was, yeah. No, I I did delve into the past of that example. Although, let's be honest, the cavalcade of players from other clubs they have currently aren't exactly covering themselves in glory. Uh, Speaking of which... Um, let's finish off by talking about your club and uh, interesting St Kilda president Andrew Bassett uh, wrote a heartfelt communication to members uh, sympathizing with their frustrations about the Saints pretty terrible start to uh, the follow-up to a finals appearance and at the same time Collingwood president Mark Corder writing to his club's members about the board unrest going on there and trying to urge them away from um, forcing an extraordinary general meeting, of course, a supporter marshalling the required signatures to um, to force an EGM and the President trying to head that off before it, uh, before it comes to pass. What do you make of those? Two very different types of letters. One of them from
1: Collingwood, more a political letter positioning Mark Corder, of course, at the current president of the Collingwood Football Club, as somebody who doesn't want any more disruptions in running the club. So I think that one had a far more political edge to it. And I didn't need to receive the letter from Andrew Bassett because I personally ran into Andrew on Sunday. How did that conversation go? Well, just he actually saw me and recognised me and said, gee, pretty disappointing. And I said, nothing that I haven't become expectant of in my time barracking for St Kilda. And he was, he was really
0: hurting, really hurting. Why didn't um, you just play him your rant from Sunday Night Show? Because I hadn't done it yet. I saw him on Sunday. Oh, um that's a good point.
1: <laughs> but, but he was actually you know, a good mate of mine. You know, Andrew Shostak, just mentioning a good I mate don't. of mine. Um, he's coaching an under-15 football team, Ajax under-15s, and I promised to go down and see how they performed. They were unbeaten. But, of course, the fact that I went down there, even though they were 29 points up a minute to go in the third quarter, they lost as well. So I'm wondering whether it's not Andrew and I that are
0: the problem. (laughs) We both mused on that very point. Oh, well, good to see, uh, at the very least, good to see um, the heads of clubs seeking to uh, make pretty direct communication with the support base anyway. So uh, let's hope that the Saints can be a little more competitive for you and the Saints president and a score of St Kilda fans out there, uh, been through a lot these 120 odd years. That's a bit of a cheap shot, wasn't it? Sorry about that. That is enough for newsfeed, We've got some big games to preview this week. Let's do it. On Footyology previews with Punch. Round 11 kicks off Friday evening, Marvel Stadium with arguably the match of the season thus far. In fact, forget arguably, it is a match of the season thus far. It is the top two teams on the ladder, uh, both a couple of games clear of their nearest rivals, a potential grand final preview. I love that phrase. It is Western Bulldogs taking on Melbourne, 7 50 pm. You'll be able to uh, hear a full rundown on what happened in that game and have your questions answered, of course, on Footology Final Siren, our live stream on Twitter and Facebook following that game. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Uh, the Palmer bet odds for this game. The Bulldogs going in favourite, they are paying a sixty six head to head, Melbourne paying $2.15. Of course, those odds as of 8.30am Wednesday morning and uh, you can see them updated on the ParmaBet app and the website, parmabet.com. All those odds updated to the minute. Stats Insider, what do they say about this game? Well, the Bulldogs and Demons have won the disposal count in 17 of their combined 20 games and the Inside 50 count in 16 of the 20 both these teams love to possess and penetrate. While both rank top four for tackles inside 50, which is testament to how ferocious both are about keeping the ball locked in. One area where they do differ greatly is in hitouts. Melbourne are ranking first, and the Bulldogs rank 17th. So, interesting ruck battle looming there between Max Gorn and Tim English, the young emerging. Bulldog, Ruckman. Uh, interesting to see how selection pans out on this one. Viney. what are both sides thinking about there? Well, Melbourne really only going to make the one change. Salem's certainly going to come back in,
1: and that probably for Neville Jetta. Uh, Viney's still not ready to return. The big one, of course, at the Bulldogs is Adam Trelaw. And I'll tell you what, Rowan, this year, there's no such thing as a minor injury, is there? We saw Trelaw try to come back on the field hopeful that his ankle injury wasn't too bad. Well, he's now out for two months. So he's obviously needed to be replaced. Tim English is the big one. He's been off for four weeks with concussion. They hope he'll be right this week. So let's say that English is available and Lipinski to come back in the team. Private Lipinski. Trelaw out and Lewis Young, who came on as sub last week, also a chance to play. And maybe Andrew Scott, who, pardon me, Anthony Scott, who
0: copped a bit of a head knock, could be in doubt as well. Did you say Adam Scott? I said Andrew, but I changed it to Anthony. <laughs> okay, and uh, e- easily done. Gee, you've got to feel sorry for Trelaw. Cannot take a trick on the injury front the last couple of years. Uh, I'll tell you one in- interesting consideration with this game, Finey. Um, I think it's a bit of a hangover from years past. Of course, Melbourne had that appalling record uh, at Docklands. I think they've lost something like 23 or 22 consecutive games there uh, between about, oh, gee, 2008 and about 2015. Interestingly, though, their recent record there is pretty good. In fact, they've won seven of their last nine appearances at Marvel Stadium, and the two they've lost, um, one to the Bulldogs, one to St Kilda, only by eight and 19 points. Uh, head-to-head against the Bulldogs, it's pretty even. The Bulldogs have won the last couple of meetings, but the Melbourne won the three prior to that. Uh, gee, it's going to be a great midfield battle, isn't it? These uh, two midfields, the premier midfield units in the competition, both bat pretty deep. They're both strong. Uh, both got a good balance now. Melbourne really improved in this area of inside and outside stuff. Uh, I think the difference might just be the um, efficiency with which both are hitting their targets inside the 50. And as impressive as Melbourne has been, I think that is one area where the Bulldogs are looking really dangerous at the moment with Bruce and Norton, a really good tandem. English comes back on that presumption. He provides a really good third target. They've got smaller players who chip in. They've also got midfielders who... Uh, really hit the scoreboard hard. Marcus Bontepelli, probably the best example of that. Uh, And they've got form. For me, the decisive factor in tipping for this game, finally is the recent form. So Melbourne, you know, tiny, narrow loss to Adelaide last week. But the three games prior to that, North Melbourne, Sydney and Carlton, they did struggle to put those opponents away. The Bulldogs, on the other hand, well, they've lost the one game and even that loss to Richmond was a game they controlled for over half. So I think on four, pretty hard to tip against the Bulldogs. Which way are you going? Well, I've actually looked at the game a little bit differently. I think this is going to be
1: a desperate game of football. One, on the inside. if There's no doubt if Bulldogs can match Melbourne inside, that is at the stoppages and really in tight, then when they get the ball to the outside, they are irresistible. But I think that Melbourne are almost unbeatable at the moment in the clinches. We're talking about Clayton Oliver at the height of his powers, ably assisted by Brayshaw. There's no question that Petrarca can play inside and outside. He's a bull. I really feel as though this Melbourne team can win the battle at the coalface. And in these clashes between top teams, That's where I think the game is won. They've both got potent forward lines. We know that. Maybe even Bulldogs taking edge there because Norton is in irresistible form. Another thing we have to factor in is the extraordinary possibility that even though this game is on Friday night at Marvel, it could be played in the rain because it seems as though the roof is going to be open all weekend because of the threat of COVID. I'm not factoring that into my call. I think Melbourne can win the game because I think they've got the tougher, better players inside. Melbourne by seven
0: points for me. All right. Uh, Well, I'm differing on that one. Uh, Just uh, going for the Bulldogs, Western Bulldogs, to win by two points. All right. That is going to be some sort of game and plenty more to follow that over the weekend. Let's talk about the card on Saturday. First game on Saturday afternoon is Collingwood taking on Geelong at the MCG 1.45pm and for the historically inclined uh, 10 years on from uh, what was a terrific and I think sadly underappreciated grand final of 2011 between these same two teams. Uh, Boy, they were two strong sides too. Both sides only lost three games during the season in the lead up to that meeting I don't think the top sides are quite as reliable now. And the positions of both those sides drastically different as we uh, stand at this stage of the season. Uh, the Palmer Bet odds. Uh, Geelong, a warm favourite in this one head-to-head, paying twenty four. Collingwood, definitely the outsider, as you'd expect. The Pies paying $4.10 on Palmer Bet. Stats Insider tell us that the Cats lead the league with a massive plus 74.9 uncontested possession differential. Uh, that is easily the biggest number in recorded history. They certainly like to own the football, the Cats. Interestingly, Collingwood happens to be particularly bad at conceding uncontested football, and the Pies are one of just three teams, along with North and St Kilda, giving up more than 250 uncontested possessions per game speaking of Collingwood not being prepared to work they rank only 17th in tackle differential so uh, some compelling evidence there. the magpies just aren't working hard enough defensively although in fairness that was a pretty decent effort against Port Adelaide last week Uh, pretty stiff in the finish to go under by just one point Uh, selection wise Viney what's happening there? Big news. Well, Collingwood's young Bo
1: McCreary, he's unlucky. You know, he's, I think, leading the AFL or up there for tackles in forward 50. So he's in the team for pressure. But last week he hit the scoreboard. Unfortunately, he hurt his calf, not playing. Also, Callum Brown, a shoulder to be assessed. And to be honest, his form is iffy anyhow. So I'm going to say both of those not playing. They'll bring Mark Keane, the Irishman, back into the team. They need some hype back up in defence for more, knowing that they're coming up against the likes of Hawkins, Cameron and Radagalia. And then they've got a range of players to choose from that have been in and out of the team. Maybe another chance for Finn McRae. Geelong, we know Duncan's not playing, and we wait on the availability of Cam Guthrie. Big chance, I reckon, for Max Holmes to be... Back into the side. So that's, Go good Max. News. that's good news for you, Rowan. And we just wait on, as I say, the availability of Cam Guthrie to see who that second player is. Maybe Charlie Constable. Look, I've got to tell you, if Cam Guthrie's shoulder doesn't come up, I'm very tempted to tip Collingwood. And now, I know I have to put a tip in today, but I haven't been all that impressed with along in the last fortnight against the faltering Saints and Unfancy Gold Coast Suns at GMHBA, the second one of those games. Whereas, as you rightly pointed out, Collingwood were anything but, you know, lucky in the game against Port Adelaide last week. In fact, that brave showing easily could have returned four points. Certainly better off with Taylor Adams in the side. Look, I'm going to put my neck on the line here, because I tell you what, without Duncan and Guffery in the midfield, Geelong are subpar in that area of the grounds. And with Adams back in the team, Dacos pro- proving a good midfielder this season. Pendlebury, side bottom and the run of Crisp. I'm going
0: to tip a big upset here. Collingwood by 13. Oh, gee, Sounds like a man that needs to make up some uh, tips on his uh, co-host. No, no, no. No, no I'm, I'm tipping that generally. Look, Guthrie would
1: be a big out for them and I'm not sure whether he's going to play, but we've seen them before
0: without Duncan and Guthrie and, of course,
1: Dangerfield.
0: Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, – yeah, I, I shouldn't have been uh, so uh, – what's the word? Live. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no, it's a, a absolutely justifiable tip, and I'm just looking at those Palmer bed odds again. $4.10, that is pretty decent value if you've got a, a lazy 20 Bucks or so. I'm sticking with the Cats, though. Uh, The other complicating factor for me in this tip is the recent form. Now, uh, Collingwood famously upset uh, a pretty warm favourite in Geelong in the 2019 qualifying final, and that really upended the Cats' flag plans. But last year was interesting, too, because we probably remember the semi-final in which... Collingwood were scarcely competitive. In fact, they only kicked one goal in three quarters and the Cats smashed them by 68 points. But earlier in the season, of course, it was in Perth. But Collingwood probably arguably had its most impressive performance of the season against the Cats in the home and away meeting, which they ended up winning by 22 points. So um, they've had their share of trouble with Collingwood in recent times, Geelong. So, and as you say, key potential absentees as well. In the end, though, I can't go against the better-performed side. Uh, I'm going for Geelong by 28 points. That is the Saturday, first of the Saturday afternoon games. Uh, Let's talk about the other one up in Queensland. Well, here's a game that hasn't had a lot of uh, exposure in in Melbourne this week, but a very appetising contest indeed. It is Brisbane taking on GWS, 2.10pm Eastern Standard Time at the Gabba. And it brings together two very informed sides. Brisbane, um, very impressive in knocking over Richmond last week. And the Giants form has been very solid now for at least five or six weeks. And they were impressive. In beating West Coast last week. This should be a really good game. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily believe that according to the Palmer bed odds, though, because they have Brisbane a very warm favorite in the head-to-heads at a dollar twenty-one. And GWS, here's some more decent punting value. You'd think the Giants are offering $4.50. Stats Insider are telling us that last season, the Lions ranked 10th and 9th for contested possession and clearance differential. Yet they're top four in both those categories this season, winning those areas in all of their six straight wins. Interesting to note, the Giants are now a 32% chance of playing finals this season. That number was down below 5% after they started the season with three straight losses. So as I just alluded to, it's been... A dramatic turnaround by them. They look confident uh, and they were able to get the job done last week without Toby Green. So the depth is clearly a bit better than we had feared early in the season. Um, What about the score of injured stars the Giants have finally year? Any of them a chance to come back this week? Rowan, their performance this year,
1: I think has been underrated in terms of how brilliantly they've done in the face of adversity. These players are all injured. Jack Buckley has a test now, but Cornelio we know injured. Brent Daniels injured. Phil Davis injured. Matt DeBoer injured. Toby Green injured. Jesse Hogan injured. Tom Hutchison, a young man with talent, injured. Lockie Keefe out for the year. He was playing well. Adam Kennedy has not played all year. Harry Perriman out for another month. Braden Proust hasn't played all year. And now,
0: cruelly, Sam Taylor, who's had a brilliant year in defence, is out for two months. I mean, it's unbelievable. What's wrong with him, just to bring people up to speed? Again, another of these ankle injuries. syndimosis might be
1: the mispronunciation, but also the injury. Syndesmosis, Um, yep. Syndesmosis, thank you. Hard to pronounce and obviously very hard to overcome. Two months for Sam Taylor. What a blow! Wasn't he playing well? Brisbane, on the other hand, again, a team that has really, over the last two or three years, had a, a hardy list to choose from. They won't make any changes. They're flying. Sam Taylor has to be replaced. O'Halloran was the unused sub. He can come in maybe. And I don't know whether he can bolster the defence, but they can move the deck chairs, possibly, again, somebody plucked from the VFL in that key defensive role, nothing stands up at the moment. And because of that injury, Rowan, I'm going to be fairly quick. It's just a bridge too far against a red-hot Brisbane who are loving life, playing at home,
0: playing with great self-belief, no panic if they go behind. Brisbane for mine by 49 points. Oh, big margin there. Uh, and I must say, I concur, maybe not to that extent, but uh, you're right. I mean, it is a bridge too far. They've been wonderful in almost reinventing themselves despite that catalog of stars out. But Taylor is arguably, uh, and perhaps funnily enough, outside green, probably the worst player they could lose. Cause he has been absolutely terrific in that defense. And, Uh, One of the worst sides to lose him against as well, given the presence of Hipwood and Danaher, not only big marking forwards, but very mobile as well, which Taylor is himself. So that is going to be a massive loss and added to all the other ones, certainly decisive in my view. Also at the Gabba, look, the Giants have got a pretty decent record against Brisbane. Brisbane have won, Um, two of the last three, but uh, not by a lot. And, of course, in between, there was that uh, loss in the semi-final heartbreaker for the Lions in 2019, one of the Giants' most famous victories. Also, at the Gabba, it's a really hard venue to win at. You've got to have everything going for you. You certainly need at least a, a reasonably full complement of your best 22 or 23 on the park, and for that reason, like you, Finey, cannot go past Brisbane. I'm not going by 49 points. I'm tipping the lines by 30 points. Alright, that is the two Saturday afternoon games. Let's talk about the Twilight game. The Twilight game on Saturday, 4.35pm, Marvel Stadium brings together two teams uh, for whom form isn't terrific. In fact, they delivered probably the stinkiest two performances of last weekend. North Melbourne smashed by Essendon by 72 points, and your Saints finally, without wanting to dwell on it, 111-point losers to the Western Bulldogs. Is a long way back for both. What do the Palmer bet odds say? Uh, can they both be outsiders? Well, no. Only one team can be. The Saints, pretty warm favourites in this one, head-to-head, paying $1.23. North Melbourne, paying Four dollars 20 stats insider tells us uh, that while there are a few good stories coming out of either club a shout out is in order for a couple of veteran roos ben cunnington leading the club in disposals clearances and tackles as to jack zebel he's one of 49 players in the afl averaging at least 25 disposals though of those 49 players only two are doing so with better than 80 percent kicking efficiency one of them is Jack Zeeble, and the other one is Sydney's Jake Lloyd. That is an interesting stat. Uh, anything on the horizon for either club to get positive about on the selection front? Finally, I've got one. My namesake, Leo Connolly, a highly touted young Kilda player, uh, tipped to potentially make his debut. Is that going to happen? That will happen. Just first on Ben Cunnington.
1: That is a fantastic effort leading all of those statistical markers for North Melbourne because he didn't play round one or round two. So, God, he's a good player, isn't he? North Melbourne, will they make any changes? You'd think so after losing by 12 goals. You know who was great for them in the VFL? Tristan Zerry. Whether there's room for the Ruckman to come in, I'm not sure. We know Goldstein made a marvellous recovery from an injured ankle against Essendon but they might squeeze Zeri in and also Will Walker. Jack Marnie, one player that didn't touch the ball too much against the Bombers. As for St Kilda, Brett Ratton has promised that the axe will be swung and I can guarantee you that Dan Butler is one player that won't be playing this week. He just can't get his hands on the ball. His ex-Richmond teammate Jack Higgins isn't in too safe a territory either. Those two have had disappointing seasons. There'll be no Sean McKernan. And I doubt there'll be any James Frawley. And to that end, Jimmy Webster is in doubt. Leo Connolly, halfback flanker and good user, will make his debut for St Kilda, I reckon. They reckon he's pretty quick for him. Not Petrocelli quick, but I'll reserve judgment. Um, yeah, he's a good mover, they reckon. So we'll wait and see. Luke Dunstan has had big numbers in the AF and the VFL, so he'll make an AFL return expect Tommy Highmore to come into the side for Frawley and Nick Caulfield could get a recall as well. So they'll certainly be testing the limits of their depth in the game against North Melbourne. Look, we're not quite sure what the rules in terms of attendance will be for COVID restrictions, but they don't need to put any warnings here, even if they cut the attendance down to 50% of capacity at Marvel Stadium. They'd have to go out into Collins Street and drag people in by the nose to get to that number, because they're not going to get twenty-five. They're not going to get fifty percent anyhow. Place supporters, sets of supporters would be pretty loath to head out on a cold Saturday afternoon to watch the way these two teams are playing. What St Kilda better list? Surely, if they lose to North. The roof, you know, the the roof will be open, but the sky will fall in on top of the St Kilda football team if they lose to
0: North. I'm tipping St Kilda by 27 points. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting here. I, I know it's easy to get sort of swayed too much by history, but North Melbourne has a consistently good record against your mob finding. In fact, they have won 10 of the last 12 meetings of these two sides. And Famously, last year in that round one game before we had the three month layoff, um, North Melbourne not very highly rated at all heading into last year and uh, came from behind to upset your Saints and snatch a two point win. So um, it's sort of like they match up pretty well against the Saints. Having said that, uh, I thought I always thought there was a chance last week they'd have a bit of an emotional letdown having. Jagged that first win of a season against Hawthorne and so it proved. And in fact, they were lamentable against Essendon. And I've got to say that uh, you can tell in the first 10 minutes of that game that they were toast because they just weren't working hard enough. The Bombers had space all over the park. Uh, Will that continue? Well, you think they'd find something. Uh, They want to present a better face of themselves than they showed last week. But... That's probably even more the case to your side because they were just absolutely woeful. The big but for the Saints with me is that they have had some decent performances. And the one that does stick in my head is the comeback win against West Coast. It shows that they are capable. There is something dangerously amiss with the attitude there. But uh, I reckon it would have been a pretty tough week on the track for the Saints. And they have to show something. Otherwise, the pressure is going to build to ridiculous levels. I think they're good enough to win it. I don't think they're going to win it by a lot, though. I do place a bit of stock in that uh, North Melbourne matching up well against the Saints. I'm going for St Kilda by just 16 points, which brings us to Saturday evening. Saturday evening in Darwin. uh, We have Gold Coast playing Hawthorne, 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time. That one, first trip to play a game for premiership points in Darwin for the Hawks. The Suns have been there twice before, lost to Carlton there last year. A little interesting um, lead-up to this too, and a disturbing one for the Hawks. Uh, Cyril Rioli looks like uh, he was going to snub an invitation to be a guest of the Hawks at that game. A little bit of friction between Cyril and his old club, unfortunately. Hopefully, that can be resolved And he is present because what a wonderful player he was for them and uh, for all of us to admire in his time playing AFL footy. Interesting game. What do Parma say about it? Well, they have Gold Coast as favourite. That doesn't happen that often. It is the case this time, though. The Suns paying $1.41 head-to-head. The Hawks paying $2.93. These two sides have combined to win the inside 50 count in just four of their 20 games this season, stats insider tell us. Not helped along by both being firmly mired in the bottom four where contested football and clearance differentials are concerned. Ben King could be the difference in this game. He ranks eighth in the league, having already hauled in 28 marks inside 50. The Hawks have given up 141 marks inside their defensive 50 this season which has them ranked seventeenth. So their defence under a bit of bombardment and not coping that well with big, agile, marking players. And that, Ben King, certainly is. Uh, any ins and outs that either club can look forward to or fear, Finey? Yeah, uh,
1: as far as Gold Coast
0: is concerned, I wouldn't be surprised if they
1: play young Mel Rosas. He had a taste of it a couple of weeks ago, but he's from the Northern Territory and they like Inserting those sort of players when playing up in Darwin. And to that end, Sean Burgoyne is ready for a return for the Hawks. He should come in, as should Liam Shields. Shields was a late withdrawal last week for Daniel Howe. And I think uh, Daniel Howe might make way for Liam Shields. No Kyle Hardigan, He's been suspended for three matches. He took his cuts and didn't go to the tribunal. He'll be replaced, I think, by Tim O'Brien. Look, I'll do a bit of a stats insider here, Rowan. In the greasy conditions that you get up in Darwin at this time of the year, because it's the wet season, so it's either very greasy or actually raining, 0% chance of a highly skilled clash between these two teams. <laughs> uh, Hawthorne are struggling. And likewise, Gold Coast, a better showing last week down at the old Cadinia Park, have to fight against their natural tendency to fall away mid-season to basic irrelevance come the end of the year. There's a real opportunity for Gold Coast to put a halt on the slide. And I think that they can. I think they can mainly because Hawthorne at the moment are a five-man team. Honestly, beyond Mitchell, O'Meara, some work done down forward by Luke Bruce. He's always good at capping off goals. Bit of Courage by Ben McAvoy and some great work in the back line by Scrimshaw. There's just very little going on at Hawthorne, unfortunately. I've got to say, too too much left to too many, and they're not getting the job done. Gold Coast for mine by 11.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you do wonder about uh, the skill level in this game, given both sides uh, have had their struggles and, as you say, not... Uh necessarily natural footy conditions in the uh, in the north of the country, in the top end. Uh, historically, Hawthorne have absolutely held sway over Gold Coast. In fact, they've played 13 times in the history of the Suns and Hawthorne have won 11 of them. And the last three, really convincingly, 51 points, 70 points and 53 points and a couple of them at a time when the Hawks were hardly travelling that well themselves. But this time, it is different. Uh, I'm putting a fair bit of stock in the Suns' performance down at the Cattery last week. Now, that was a game where a less resilient version of the Suns would have just rolled over and been smashed by in the order of 100 points. I think we all thought that was a fair chance to happen. But they really hung in there to the extent where they were still a decent winning chance early in the last quarter. Uh, and they've pulled out a few of those performances this year. Just when we start getting on their back and talk about them being uncompetitive, they will deliver. So, look, gee, it's been a slow process, that psychological as well as physical growth, but it is starting to happen for them. So they can't afford to have another insipid showing, having performed reasonably well at Geelong, the hardest road trip in footy. They have to win this game against a side that is right for the picking. Their form has been better than Hawthorne. They do have the better personnel. It's hard to wrap your head around it, but that's the way both clubs are situated right at this point in time. So the Suns have to make it count. I think that'll be the message Stuart Dew drums into his players this week. And uh, I'm tipping him, not with the greatest of confidence, but I am tipping them to respond positively to that. I'm going for Gold Coast to win this one by 12 points, which leaves one Saturday night game, and that is in Perth. 7.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Optus Stadium in Perth. Of course, 5.40 for the locals. West Coast taking on Essendon. As we told you earlier, Essendon has headed over to Perth two days earlier than scheduled thanks to the COVID flare-up in Melbourne. How big an impact will that have on their preparation? I guess time will tell. Palmer Bet telling us about this game. The Eagles, a pretty warm favourite despite their defeat last week and a pretty good performance by the Bombers against North Melbourne. And The Dons having now won a couple of games in a row. West Coast paying $1.22 head-to-head on Palmer Bet. Of course, these odds... As of 8.30 Wednesday morning, you can see updated odds on the ParmaBet app or at ParmaBet.com. Essendon paying $4.30 head-to-head. Stats Insider on this game. Well, they're telling us West Coast have won six games this season, but only one of those wins has come against a top-eight outfit. Mind you, Essendon have lost 18 of their last 21 games Against top eight opposition. So it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in an upset. Something that we spoke about last week was West Coast's horrible fourth quarters. They wilted again last week against the Giants, mustering a single last term goal. On the season, they're 3 7 in last quarters and have averaged less than two last quarter goals per game over their last seven games. So Boy, if this one's close or the Bombers are thereabouts at three-quarter time, they will definitely sniff what would still be a big upset. Uh, selection-wise, Finey, either of these sides got much in the wind.
1: Well, you know, there are a few West Coast Eagles players circling a return. Elliot Yo and has played well in the waffle last week, but maybe another week for them. Witherden was a late withdrawal, expecting to come in for Harry Edwards. As for the Bombers... I wonder whether being forced to leave Melbourne early will kibosh their plans for two big names to come back. I wasn't at the airport, so I don't know if they're on the plane. I guess they are. We know that Jake Stringer can play well off a break. He doesn't need any time in the VFL. We think that he's ready to return. And the big name that has probably just a couple of weeks ahead of schedule made himself available is first ruckman Sam Draper so I'm going to put both of them in for Phillips and who would be the other one to miss out for Stringer you could probably best tell me Rowan who'd be in the gum?
0: always difficult to change a winning lineup but you suspect probably Alec Waterman uh, last man into that side and Didn't do a whole lot, to be honest, in that win. So, uh, similar body type too to Stringer. He was effectively the inclusion uh, after Stringer got injured. So, uh, the same switch done in reverse, I suspect, uh, should Stringer come back and play.
1: Well, Jake Waterman's probably fringe as well. Wouldn't be a good afternoon for the Waterman family if they both got dropped. But anyhow, we'll wait to see. Oh, they're disappointing the Eagles, aren't they, Rowan? We know that they are expected to win at home, but their form on the road hasn't been great. Even their form at home hasn't exactly set the world on fire. Can the Bombers go there and cause an upset? They're full of character, Essendon. I'd like to tip them, but it would be a real upset for them to be able to go over there and upset the apple cart against West Coast, with West Coast still boasting that very potent forward line. Liam Ryan wasn't great last week, but he'll be better for the game back. And then you've got Kennedy Darling and Allen who can play up either end. The temptation is there, but no, I'll stick with the West Coast Eagles and I'll say that they can get the job done by a
0: a cocky 17, a misplaced over cocky 17. Yeah, it's pretty much how I see it. Uh, Yeah, look, Eagles really disappointing at the moment, aren't they? And that that stat on the last quarter is very telling, I think. There's a real, almost looks like lack of application sometimes. Although, look, to be fair, the brand of footy they play, it's not high octane, sort of high tackling numbers. It's all about uh, uncontested possession and uncontested marks. Essendon don't have a great record on the road in the modern era, but uh, they've won a couple out of the five they've played at this ground. So it's not a bad ground for them. Uh, last start, though, they were beaten pretty comprehensively by the Eagles, albeit uh, back in 2019. The other thing that worries me about the Bombers is their propensity to leak scores and uh, against, as you say, a very, very potent forward combination filled with big, strong marking players. I'm not sure the Bombers have got enough tall defenders to go around and cover all the bases there. So that worries me as well. Uh, West Coast certainly don't want to fall into this Fremantle-like pattern of being lions at home and uh, lambs away, um, because that's the way it's headed. Their record and their performances on the road this year have been very, very ordinary. Nonetheless, that makes it all the more important that they win the ones they're supposed to at home. This is definitely one of them. The other thing working against Essendon, who you're right finding, they've showed plenty of character, but uh, boy, I can't get past the alteration of the travel plans. Just three days of effectively sitting around in Perth waiting for this game. I reckon it could take a bit of a toll on that basis. I'm going for West Coast to win this one. Reasonably comfortably, the Eagles, for me, by 36 points. That is Friday night and Saturday dealt with. Let's talk about Sunday. First game on Sunday afternoon is at 1.10pm. And it's a rematch. I love my rematches, Fanny. A rematch of the 2017 grand final with Richmond taking on Adelaide. Uh, Obviously, the Tigers hoping for a similar result. Uh, They need to start doing something, the Tigers. uh, Things are starting to get away from them. They are temporarily at least outside the top eight. As for Adelaide, well, they'd still be on a high after bringing Melbourne's undefeated run of nine games to a conclusion last week in a fantastic performance. Does that give them any more hope of upsetting the Tigers similarly? Well, not according to Palmer, but they have Richmond. In fact, the warmest favourite on the head-to-heads of this weekend. The Tigers paying just $1.19. Adelaide, you can get on them Uh, head-to-head. The Crows paying $4.80. What are Stats Insider saying? Well, the kind of teams that are beating Richmond this season are doing so off the back of intense physicality. And while Adelaide have improved, they rank just 11th and 16th for contested possession and clearance differential, while the Crows also ranked only 15th for tackle differential. So the way to beat the Tigers isn't necessarily the brand of footy the Crows most enjoy playing. That's an inter- interesting indicator, finally, because I suspect off the back of last week's results, some people, however crazily, might give Adelaide a sneaky chance. Anything doing at the selection front which could encourage those hopes further? Yeah, well, not for Adelaide. They won't make any changes, surely, to that
1: fantastic outfit that defeated the Demons. But they've got problems for Richmond, with Richmond, because the engine room is about to be restocked. Bolton, Prestia and Coxon all available. That's a pretty big triumvirate to come back into the side No Marlon Pickett because of suspension and Ralph Smith and Nash likely to make way. That engine room, if you had any doubts whatsoever about Richmond's ability to bounce back after that loss up in Brisbane, well, you don't need to worry too much because that engine room restocked should be enough to see off plucky Adelaide. And that, of course, is their new... Name after that great win against Melbourne, there'll be service down there for Lincoln for Rewalt. There'll be opportunities for Martin to go forward at this time, not leave the midfield sorely depleted. I'm comfortable in Richmond's ability to flex their muscles and defeat Adelaide by 51 points.
0: I tell you what's interesting with this matchup is uh, again the head-to-head record. I'd go so far as to say that over the last five or six years. Adelaide has as good a head-to-head record against the Tigers as any club in the competition. Uh, To wit, they have played each other eight times, these two sides, since 2015. Uh, The Crows have won five of them, uh, albeit not the one that mattered most. Does that surprise you? I am staggered, absolutely staggered. Uh, well, they've beaten, uh, the Crows have beaten Richmond up at Adelaide Oval a couple of times, certainly remember them. Um, so, yeah, that would give them some sort of confidence. That said, the Tigers dispensed with Adelaide pretty summarily last season by 44 points that game at Adelaide Oval. Uh, the Crows on the MCG, uh, that's been another ground at which they've had their issues over the years. Uh, Can they approach that with a bit more confidence? Well, not off the back of recent form. In fact, they haven't won a game at the MCG Adelaide since mid-season 2017. Since then, they have drawn one against Collingwood, lost the grand final to the Tigers, lost to Hawthorne by 56 points, lost to Richmond again by 47 points. And 2019, halfway through the year, it lost to Carlton by 27 points. So that's another thing to consider. Adelaide has not played on the MCG for nearly two years now. And of course, this is Richmond's fortress. Although uh, the Tigers have lost a few there of late, so not quite the fortress it was. Look, as you know, I'm a huge believer in the Tigers. I keep quoting this stat. After 13 games in 2019, They were only 7-6. They then proceeded to rattle off, what was it, 12 wins in a row to win the flag. I don't think that they're going to win, uh, what would it be, 14 or 15 in a row to win this year's flag, but I do think the resurgence starts here, particularly with the return of those big names you talk about. Look, no uh, slight on Adelaide. They have been uh, really good this year, so much better than I thought they'd be. And um, after things looked to be heading southward, they really dug in and found something against uh, the Demons. It was a great performance by them. So I think they'll be competitive, but uh, I do think Richmond needs to make a statement. I think it will make a statement. I'm going for the Tigers to win this one by 32 points. That's the first game on Sunday. What about the second? 3.20pm Sunday afternoon at the SCG. It is Sydney taking on Carlton. As we told you earlier, Carlton, even for a Sunday game at the SCG, flying up to the Harbour City on Wednesday, uh, thanks to this COVID flare-up in Melbourne. So, again, got to wonder about what sort of impact that will have on their preparation uh, Palmer Bet telling us about this game that the Swans are pretty warm favourites. They are paying $1.44 head-to-head and Carlton offering $2.81 on Palmerbet. Of course, those odds updated to the minute on the app or at palmerbet.com. Stats Insider tells us that the Swans have lost four of their last six. But according to Stats Insider's futures model, are still a 65.5% chance of playing finals, though their top four prospects have dropped to just 22.7%. Meanwhile, though Carlton have won their last two games against the Swans, it's actually been 27 years since they won three games straight against Sydney. That's a fair chunk of time. Speaking of form, Patrick Cripps has enjoyed just one 30-plus possession game from his last 26 matches. That is a rare run of outs by his lofty standards. In his prior 26 matches, he'd had 13 such performances. So certainly a lesser version of Patrick Cripps we've been getting this season. Uh, The Blues, anything to recommend them in selection terms or for that matter, the Swans finding? Well, the Swans will certainly have Justin
1: McInerney back in the team. He was rested Uh, spared the trip across the Nullarbor because of persistent back problems but he certainly will play and I wouldn't be surprised if Logan McDonald the young full forward comes in for Hayden McLean so Robbie Fox got a scratch to the eyeball and he's doubtful. Carlton no Lockie Plowman do they go again to Tom Williamson he seems stuck somewhere between the VFL and AFL for his ability or do they try somebody like Young Parks Jack Martin will come back into the team He's been sorely missed. Cottrell could miss out. Sydney are vying for higher honours. And they seem conscious of that when they play each week. They just got pipped by Fremantle in a very exciting finish. Back on home soil. You know, we saw them a couple of weeks ago get jumped by Collingwood, but they didn't panic. They put the nose to the grindstone and got the job done. One thing that they did take out of the game against Fremantle was the undiminished powers of Buddy Franklin and you know what that's a heck of a pointer towards a winner so I think simply too much to play for they've shown this year that they are even in games where things don't go right for them early capable of turning things around and they've got the ace in the pack Buddy Franklin that's the one two three that gives me a Sydney win by 23 points
0: yeah, I'm going for the Swans here too. Uh, as you know, I've been a big believer, tipped them to make the top eight. I think they've been very resilient. Um, yeah, look, they've, they've lost more than they've won of late, but uh, they've tended to be pretty uh, close defeats. So I I still think they've got plenty uh, to recommend them in terms of a top eight berth. Uh, Carlton did beat the Swans. Well, as Stats Insider told us, Carlton had beaten the Swans the last two times they've played, both... By single-figure margins, though, so barely been anything in it. And one thing the Blues don't have is a, a good record at the SCG. Uh, did win their last game against the Swans there. Like I said, narrow, only seven points that result. But that was their first win at that venue since 2011, and in fact, only their second win at the SCG in the last 15 visits to the ground. And that is a run stretching all the way back to 1994. So in all that time, uh, how long is that? That is, gee, 27 years. The Blues have won at the SCG just twice, 2011 and 2019. And that one by just over a kick. Now, I think the Swans are the better side here. Look, Carlton were impressive enough against Hawthorne, but what did they beat? The Hawks really, really struggling. And uh, even though they were struggling, they were still right in that contest. So sort of as though the Blues are really setting the world on fire. Sydney, for me, um, I reckon in the order of 20 points. And that leaves just one game left in round 11. Final game of the weekend. It is at 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time, Adelaide Oval, and it brings together Port Adelaide and Fremantle. And uh, both coming off wins, but the two most narrow wins imaginable. Port just getting over the line against Collingwood by one point. Fremantle at home by just two points against Sydney. Uh, Tough ask for the Dockers, that is reflected in the betting, thanks to Palmer bet. On the head to heads, they have Port Adelaide, a very warm favourite, $1.20. Fremantle paying $4.60. Stats Insider are issuing their weekly reminder the Port have now won 15 straight games against bottom eight opponents. They certainly know how to beat the sides they should. They get the chance to go 16 straight hosting another bottom eight side. Uh, Port is having to lean on Travis Boeke quite a bit this season with their captain, the only player in the league, leading their club outright in both clearances and goal assists, uh, wonderful twilight portion of his career he is enjoying, been fantastic this year, as indeed he was last year. Gee, Port... Less than impressive, lucky to get over the line against Collingwood Fidey, but I'm looking at Freo. I'm looking at them being on the road. I saw their last road trip. It was here against Essendon and uh, didn't lose by a lot, but far from impressive. Going to be a tough ask for them. Uh, anyone they can turn to to help plead their case. Yeah, Andrew Brayshaw will come back into the team. Have to find who he's going to replace, except that
1: Matt Taberner, who turned his ankle in the win over Sydney, needs to pass a fitness test. So we'll keep an eye on how that plays out. As for Port Adelaide, I don't think they'll make any changes having that narrow squeak over the pies. You know, Port Adelaide, they're not much different to West Coast this year in the disappointment department. They've just been able to get a couple of narrow squeaks on the road to go their way. Otherwise, I think the spotlight might be shun on them as well. Had they lost to Collingwood, you'd start to say, that they just aren't really meeting expectations. You're quite right. Boke has to shoulder a huge load. And he does so against a midfield that has some depth. With Brayshaw back in the team, you've got Fife and Mundy. All right, they're easy to reel off. Let's not forget that they've also got Sarong and Chera. That's a bloody good midfield. Can they take advantage of that midfield? And they've got Darcy in the ruck performing beautifully. Can they take advantage of that midfield on the road against Port Adelaide? Gee, I've tipped them a couple of times, Frio, because of that really good quality midfield, but something there's still something amiss there. Walters is playing better. So is Lobb. Tabern is a decent forward, but they don't put big scores on the board for some reason. And that's where I think they might fall short because they just don't seem to be able to execute a round goal what seems to be good play farther up a field. Port Adelaide for mine, not confidently, by
0: seven points. Oh, that's a pretty close contest you are predicting. Uh, I'm a little more confident about Port Adelaide's prospects. Having said that and having concentrated on Freo's poor road record, their one victory on the road this year was at this venue, of course, against the Crows back in round five. Freo winning that game. By 12 points, that was their first win uh, after seven straight losses at Adelaide Oval. Their first victory at the ground since back in 2015. So probably will take something from that. Not all that long ago, just six weeks ago. So the memory still pretty fresh. I just don't trust them on the road, though. And I do think Port Adelaide, as you're saying, um, they they need to kick some butt so to speak. Uh, A a win over Frio at home isn't going to make their premiership claims any more credible. Uh, Conversely, were they to drop this one, I think uh, they would start certainly uh, copping some critical slings and arrows, so they can't afford that. They have to continue to beat up on weaker opposition, which, as Stats Insider told us, they routinely do. I think they will do that again, got the better personnel Um, have greater depth. I don't like the way Freo still, I think, uh, for all the improvement of some of the younger players, still rely heavily on the veterans and will so again uh, against Port Adelaide. Port, too many weapons. They're at home. I think Port Adelaide wins this one by 24 points. And that is round 11 previewed. That leaves one part of this show left and it's our old favourite, Fantastic footy flashbacks. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, hopefully we're not going to cop it because I know Collingwood fans are a little bit upset about the amount of reversals they have to endure in any footy nostalgia talk or highlights packages, you name it. Well, you know, you did lose the odd grand final over the years during the infamous Collie Wobbles spell. Uh, that brings me to this week's instalments. But fear not, Magpie fans. We've got a square off coming soon, courtesy of Mark Fine. I'm going first, though. I do want to say just quickly, this is um, off the back of me discovering a great new YouTube channel run by Raleigh98, R-A-L-E-I-G-H 98, R-A-L-E-I-G-H 98. He has uploaded in super high definition. I might have just made that up, but it is the clearest footage I've ever seen of the old grand finals and other finals as well on his YouTube channel. It is unbelievable. So hats off to you, mate, whoever you are. Sterling Job, not only that, he's put them all in convenient highlights packages and time-coded them all. So you know uh, what minute market is when all these things happen. And that got me thinking about this particular game. Arguably the most famous grand final of all time, 1970, saw Collingwood leading Carlton by 44 points at halftime, the Blues famously coming over the top to win by 10. Now, if you hadn't seen the whole game, and I suspect many people haven't, you might think, well, they did it bit by bit, got in front late in the piece and won. That is true. However, they managed to erode the bulk of that deficit in no less or no more than 10 and a half incredible minutes. Just after halftime, the start of a third quarter, Carlton went from 44 points down to just three points down by the 13 minute, 10 second mark of the third quarter. And given the context, given the time, the most amazing burst of power packed football, seven goals in a ten and a half-minute spell. Incredible stuff. Scarcely believable in any game, let alone a grand final in 1970. And the commentators, the famous trio, Mike Williamson, Butch Gale and Ted Whitten, were suitably excited. It's great audio, uh, even if you're a Collingwood supporter. Let's have a listen to it. Down to the half-forward line, looking for Jessalica. It's Croswell on his mark.
1: Croswell plays hard, gives the ball to uh, Walls. Walls has a long shot for goal. Jones is there. Down to Teddy Hopkins, the 90th man. He snaps the goal. And
0: it throws. And Oh, look at Carlton. They're playing on at every opportunity. Good drive down. Jessalinko. Jessalinko's dropped it. But he butters up the
1: left foot. Snap.
0: This is going to go through or close to it.
1: Yeah, good play on that pitch part. Snapped it off the back of the pack. Good anticipation.
0: Three and a half minutes into the third quarter and Hopkins has kicked two goals within a minute. Taken by Adamson. Adamson a hand pass intercepted by Nichols. Nicholls a long hand pass towards Gallagher. But through they come. Callaghan is there. Jackson picks up for Calvin. Jackson a left foot snap. Oh, what a through. from behind, punches the ball. Heatkins comes through, misses the ball. And Croswell, umpire jolly, said it was too well, high. And will take the free kick. Boy, he are they coming back. On the mark, 10 yards distance they must be. He comes in with the drop punt, lines it up. It looks pretty good in transit. And it's right through the middle. There's
1: a all to Carlton. What's that right like there, fourth? Oh. The fourth in this
0: quarter. Dean comes out with the ball. Dean now a left foot snap. Oh, but it's a wild one. And Robert Walls again. Walls, a quick hand pass to Hopkins. Hopkins in a bit of trouble, but he shoots. He's put it through. That's his third. That's his Good. third play by Nicholson. Let that ball drop through. There's
1: a kick in the woods. to the half-order to Robert Walls as well. Great play by Carlton. He slips around Connor. Races into an open goal. of this great game.
0: There's coach Ron Barassi, lot right in the corner there of the grandstand, A lot happier coach now at this particular stage. Just throw it in the forward pocket. Bound can... the umpire. He can racket that went out on the fall, but he couldn't fool the umpire. In goes and goes Jenkins, hits down Hopkins, has it. He tries to scramble a ball just it go shoots. seven goals, Teddy. you kick seven goals in ten and a half minutes. Well,
1: this is what the public want: Three points to get. What a whirlwind, ten minutes of football. And well recovered by you, Rowan, because yes, and only because I've done a fair bit of work with you over the last few years and you've been at pains to point out that that comeback happened with a rush. Most people wouldn't have thought that it all happened in ten minutes, especially the sort of belief that in the olden days, you know how how they say five goals, that's nothing in modern football. That sort of tends one to believe that back in the olden days, the black and white days, it took three quarters to kick five goals. Not so. Well, well disproved. Good work, mate. I'll,
0: I'll just give you the roll call of goal kickers too. Hopkins, Hopkins, Jackson, Croswell, Hopkins, Walls, Jezolinko. And uh, Teddy Hopkins, of course, three of his four goals in that burst. Robert Walls just doing unbelievable things. Jizzy was a great big occasion player. Brent Croswell, uh, Alex Giesolico, all the big names there. So apologies, Collingwood fans. But just an incredible grand final. And that was the most incredible part of it. However, here is the square off for you Magpie fans. What is it, Finey? A little bit of fun here, Rowan. And we all know that Collingwood
1: in a 32-year period between 58 and 90, lost some pretty unlosable grand finals. And so was born a term, the Collie Wobbles. I mean, let's go through it. 1960, they kicked two goals two for the day. 1964, they just lost to the Demons, late goal by Froggy Compton. 66, one point to St Kilda. 1970, we've just heard. 1977, a draw, then a loss. 1979, they go down to the blues, they're thrashed by Tigers in 1980 and lose to the dreaded Foe Carlton again in 81. It's a cavalcade of terror, isn't it, the old Collie Wobbles? It is. So what did they do after finally winning the flag in 1990 over, over your bombers? They had a bit of fun. They thought they'd bury the Collie Wobbles. So let's go to the Channel 7 news report of the night, the burial of the Collie Wobbles and no prizes for guessing who the MC, the master of ceremonies, would be. Collie Wobbles lived around Collingwood for 32 years, but died suddenly after the final siren at the MCG last month. This afternoon the Magpie Finals curse was given a grand funeral. No Possibly the happiest funeral procession Melbourne has seen wound up at Victoria Park the scene of many grand final commiserations since 1958.
0: All you Collingwood supporters have waited 32 years for this to happen. We don't want anyone crying or being sad. This is a very joyous occasion.
1: Former Magpie Captain Lou Richards had his revenge as High Priest of the Burial.
0: This is the death of Collingwood.
1: The jinx leaves only memories of finals defeat, which were sent to the grave one by one. Even in death, the Maggies had trouble sinking the Collywobble spirit. Finally, it went under.
0: It's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The Wobbles are buried. And once again, it's them against us. Well, amazing stuff. There that, that was some sort of crowd they got to the, uh, the funeral cortege and the burial of uh, a mythical concept, wasn't it? In fact, that whole period, I remember after that grand final, And trust me, I was doing it tough, my team having been on the receiving end. It was incredible. It sort of took uh, winning grand finals to a whole new level. I remember merchandise just went through the roof. Uh, There were that many celebrations and functions. And uh, in fact, Collingwood said that that played a big part in their pretty ordinary performance the following year when they failed to even make finals. Uh, And, of course, it led to one of the great jokes, didn't it? Who kicked five goals in the 1990 grand final? Answer, Fonny? Essendon. Yeah. What a ripper. Never gets old. I also remember going to the grand final function for Essendon that night. Jeez, that was a a real buzz. Uh, And having to walk about halfway home from the Hilton Hotel because I couldn't get a taxi. There were no taxis available. Melbourne went crazy. Now, look, you had to feel... Some joy for them. It had been a ridiculous run of outs and a whole lot of bad luck and they were able to put it to rest and what better man to do that than Louis the Lip Richards. What a great football identity he was. There, Magpie fans, there's your square off. Hope you're happy. I hope everyone else is happy too. Been a fun show today in serious times, Uh, of course, uh, the latest COVID flare-up and we'll repeat our community health announcement of earlier. Go and get vaccinated against this insidious virus, people. It's the only way we're going to be able to beat it and live relatively normal lives. Uh, that is it for this week's podcast. As always, proudly brought to you by ParmaBet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Uh, we thank Palmerbet for their support. Always remember to gamble responsibly. They're not the only backers of this show, Fidey. Who else is on board? The Great Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Britport Street, Albert
1: Park. The king of burgers is an Andrews burger. And don't forget West Point Properties, Nick Bartels for the best in home builds.
0: And don't forget Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. You can read all their predictions and read some great independent sports journalism too at statsinsider.com.au. Everything free to use. Give them a follow on Twitter too, at Stats Insider. That is it for this week. Uh, you can catch us again on Footyology Finals on Friday evening following the big Western Bulldogs Melbourne clash. We'll be back with the podcast Sunday evening to wrap up what should be a terrific round 11 and you can support us as ever at the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or at our several patreon links for seven dollars australian per month become an official footiology patron and that support is much appreciated and always valued thanks for your company everyone we'll catch you next time